0: This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio.
0: At Gallant Says on Twitter. Texting to the show at 710 710.
2: Oh, hello and welcome aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, in Washington, nay the world. I am Paul Gallant and it is Tuesday, May 4th of 2021. May the 4th be with you. Most of you know me as a Star Wars nerd. I will really only share one Star Wars take with you. From episode one, Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson, is a fraud. And I can't believe that Liam Neeson had a successful acting career after playing that guy. Bam! We are off and running. Danny and I had a conversation this morning that leads us to today's Paul Gallant Show question. Although it's more of a challenge. Fill in the blank. The Seahawks are blank. At drafting, And I got a couple of responses on Twitter to open things up. At Gallant says, I don't hate you yet, responds Gamblers. I think you could make that case given that they have taken swings at players that, at least per most draft experts, would have been available later. Also, objectively looking at the roster, positions that were surprising to take, and I would just look no further than last year's first round pick. Jordan Brooks as a linebacker, a bit surprising when you had the linebacker core that you had going into last season. Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, and then all of a sudden you add him to the mix. Anthony said, decent at best at drafting. Not sure if it's the scouting department or the head dogs running it, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, but they've got more misses than hits when looking at the totality of their draft record. I think Anthony hit the nail on the head here. But I also think that he hit the nail on the head when it comes to just about every single team across the NFL in the draft. The NFL draft is the great equalizer. And I think it's easy for anyone who is a hardcore fan of a sports team, rides and dies with them 16, now 17, Sundays a year. Then you see an NFL draft take place and maybe you're so into it. You're reading all the mock drafts. You're looking at everybody's big board. And then the team doesn't do the things that you want them to do. You express frustration there. You look back at the team's track record and you think, wow, I mean, since 2011, 2012, the Seahawks haven't done so hot in the NFL draft. And what's interesting about that is I honestly feel like that's how every single team across the NFL feels about their team's ability to draft and their team's ability to make decisions game management wise. Everyone thinks that they're terrible at both. The reality is, the Seahawks are in the middle of the pack because this draft, no one's great at it every single year. We want teams to be great at it, but you're going to have some bad draft classes like the Seahawks in 2017 or the Seahawks in 2018. When you have back to back of them, it puts you in a pretty difficult situation where maybe instead of taking actual draft picks in a draft class, you're going to decide to trade those draft picks for veteran players that you know can play now. For example, the Seahawks, of course, last year, they trade two first round picks and a third round pick for Jamal Adams. They also (laughs) trade their third round pick this year. Excuse me. They trade their fifth round pick this year for Gabe Jackson. They trade their seventh round pick this year for Carlos Dunlap. Last year, traded a fifth round pick for Quinton Dunbar. Before that, Traded a fifth-round pick for Quandre Diggs. Before that, traded a third-round pick for Jadevian Clowney. The list goes on and on. I'm sure there's a guy that they traded a draft pick for that's a veteran that I'm missing along the way there. The Seahawks have not been bad at drafting, though, over the last two seasons. And it makes me curious as to what this three-man draft class will end up being for Seattle. Dwayne Eskridge was the first of those picks, and he actually joined us this morning on Danny and Gallant. You should check out the podcast. I thought he had a lot of energy. Got me very excited about the pick, though I do sometimes find myself guilty of liking a draft prospect or a player and his ability to interview so much that it affects my opinion on what that player is. But Eskridge is walking into, I think, a very good situation, and he weighed in on this wide receiver group that he is joining.
1: Yeah, I just feel like I'm coming into a great group. Um, I feel retired Ty Lockett, he's – He's the OG, you know, that has a lot of wisdom for everything, so I'm looking to learn a lot from him. And then DK, he's the, he's the superstar of the league right now, you know, so that that full room, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to come there and learn and compete with those guys and turn our room up.
2: A great room to join, and while the Seahawks have had some issues drafting wide receivers in the fourth round, the John Schneider and Pete Carroll era has done a pretty good job, I think, at drafting wide receivers, starting with Golden Tate in 2010. Go a little bit further, and you see – the Seahawks take Paul Richardson in the second round in 2014. He was a solid player for you. Tyler Lockett in 2015, a third-round pick, one of your better third-round picks. Not quite Russell Wilson, but he's definitely pretty good on that front. Then you go a little bit further, and you see D.K. Metcalf, of course, and Freddie Swain last year. They've got a pretty good track record when it comes to that position. I, I think Dwayne Eskridge is going to do pretty well. But the question that I have for you today is just how good are the Seahawks at draft? Fill in the blank. They are, bl- they are blank as far as their ability to draft every single year. Some more responses 710 710. They are peach pie at drafting. The peach pie of drafters. I would assume that makes them forgotten because while on with Danny, while I would not think of peach pie very high on my list. I am not somebody that ever lived in the great state of Georgia. I would say that as far as peach pie, that is definitely not the first thing that comes to mind. But there are so many things that you can make pie with. Pecan pie as someone had texted in. I mean, boysenberry pie? I had never heard of that before. Apparently, that's a local thing that I must try. You can put meat in pie. It's pretty good. Shepherd's pie? Huh? Anybody? Anybody? Text in, 710-710. The Seahawks are one of 32 at drafting. It's such a crapshoot. They do the best with what they have. I feel the same way. I think that is a very accurate way to assess the draft, and I think we just tend to overreact to it. And there were some people that were overreacting at the moment to the Seahawks not addressing the offensive line in the draft. And we'll see if their faith in Ethan Posick is, is placed correctly. Honestly, I feel like of all the guys coming out of the draft weekend on the Seahawks roster, he's probably the one that should be the most thankful. I mean, there was, there was a center available. And the Seahawks, instead of taking said center, they decided to go with Dwayne Eskridge. But I think a lot of people, when they saw Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma available there and who eventually goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think we always assume that the Chiefs are going to be good at drafting. By the way, they're not. If you take a look at their track record over the last couple of years, they haven't been very good at drafting, much like the Patriots, much like the Seahawks. You know, like it's it's interesting. We think that these draft classes are not good and yet we put implicit faith in teams that have been successful for years and years as far as their ability to draft every single season. It's weird, though. It doesn't doesn't traditionally work out like that. But I I think Ethan Posick should be very thankful that the Seahawks did not draft Creed Humphrey because with the way that he finished the season, he didn't play particularly well. Text in 710710. How would you fill in the blank? The Seahawks draft. Now all of a sudden everyone's saying that there's some sort of pie. The Seahawks are blank at drafting. One texter says the Seahawks are not defined by their drafts. Okay. But then what are they defined by? They are defined by their drafts from 2011 and 2012. That is for sure. I mean, this whole entire era does not start until start. Why did I say it like that? It doesn't start until they have those guys in the mix. And, of course, Russell Wilson comes in and Pete Carroll and John Schneider, the the core that they put together laid the groundwork for what we have seen the past decade, a gradual transition from a great defense to a team that is, for the most part, powered by its quarterback. So that's the question that I want you to answer this morning. The Seahawks are blank at drafting. Fill in the blank. Man, people have got pie takes. Chicken pot pie, pizza pie. Pizza doesn't count as pie. It doesn't. I know that t- technically it's a pie, but no, it's not. Right? Doesn't there have to be crust on top of it? Isn't that how it works? Because then it would be, a I I guess it's sort of a cheese cobbler, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Uh, blackberry pie. The Seahawks are key lime pie. Sour at first, but finish sweet when it comes to the draft. Okay. You know what? That works out. That checks out. Richard Sherman's a fifth-round pick. Camp Chancellor, a fifth-round pick. We'll see if they're able to get more out of those late, late, round, bleh, late round draft picks. Chris Carson, one of them, of course. So that's the question, the challenge for you today. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay the world, 710-710 7, 10, 7, 10 to text in if you've got a question or a comment to answer that question that I asked you. The Seahawks are blanket drafting. Fill in the blank. You can tweet me at Galant Says Facebook.com slash sports. It's 1010. 10. That means it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Good morning. Good morning, afternoon, Mora. I can't speak English particularly well these last couple of minutes. How are you?
1: Well, it's hard when you're combining a few words at once, you know.
2: Yeah, that's true. But listen, the more I say it, the easier it'll roll off the tongue and I eventually can put it in the Webster's Dictionary. And I don't know, maybe there's a finder's fee for that. I'm not 100 percent sure.
1: Did you come into today planning to have a lot of pie talk?
2: No, I did not. Honestly, Just but now incredible. I want pie. I, it, it, someone's got to text <laughs> in seven ten seven ten. Where's the best place to get pie in Seattle? How about that? That's going to get competitive, and it's going to get us totally off the topic of sports.
1: I don't know if it's still there, but there is a place in Ballard. Um, I never went to it, but my friends had some pie when I came over once. So they told me they were going there all the time when his wife was pregnant, so I could try to find out what it was.
2: Someone has told me about this, too. I believe I have walked by it, and I forget the name of it. Yeah. And I live there, Good. so I have no excuse on that front.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You need to find it.
2: Okay, Maura, what's going on in the world of non-pie?
1: Uh, well, the Cleveland Browns have signed former Seahawk draft, I think we can safely say bust, Malik yes. McDowell. Uh, Browns general manager Andrew Barry said that the team did, quote, extensive work on McDowell before signing him.
2: That's neat and all, and best of luck to Malik McDowell, but it's not likely to work out, much like it's not likely for the Seahawks to make it work out with Robert Kimdiche. And honestly, you could maybe make the same case for Alden Smith, and we don't know what's going on on that front. I'm still waiting, I think, for more details as far as Alden Smith's status with the team, his status in that situation where he got in an altercation outside of a coffee shop, allegedly. We will see how that all unfolds, but a guy like that who's been out of the league and has not played a snap, it's going to be really difficult for him, especially if he suffered perhaps neurological trauma a brain injury to, I think, be the same player that he might have been had he played all those years ago. I mean, we're talking about a 2017 first-round pick, excuse me, second-round pick that hasn't played, period. It's been, what, five, six years? Honestly, I feel like Tim Tebow has a better chance of making it in the NFL as a tight end than Malik McDowell does.
1: Yeah, it's probably not going to happen, but how mad would Seahawks fans be if Malik McDowell and Jadeveon Clowney ball out this year?
2: Very mad. (laughs) Here's the thing. The Browns roster is incredibly talented, probably more talented than the Seahawks roster at this point in time. They have Miles Garrett on that front. Did anyone see Miles Garrett's suit, by the way, at the NFL draft? I mean, I I wonder how he walked around. It was so form-fitting to his biceps. I mean, you could see the curvature of his biceps through the suit. Is that supposed to be how it works? Or is this just something that I'm never going to know because I have little twigs for arms? I suppose I will never know.
1: <laughs> uh, by the way, update, uh, Andy uh, Eid Eid, I think. I'd, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your last name. I'm so sorry. Um, from NHL.com covering the Kraken says it's the pie bar in Ballard.
2: The pie bar. Okay. It's excellent. Okay. Okay. I, I will go there. Hopefully they have key lime pie. That is acceptable for the Paul Gallant standard. People are rightfully so trashing some of my food takes. My food takes are weird. I will be the first to admit it. But they're unique.
1: I feel horrible about that. I think it's Andy Egg. We've had him on before. He does. He does a lot. He's done a lot of work with 710sports.com for us. Uh, what, you know, before we had a hockey team when we needed hockey coverage. So uh, I'm sorry about that. But yes, that um, place is delicious. I've eaten the pie. I just haven't been there. Okay. I, I partook in what my friends came home with.
2: Okay. Oh, that's always good. To tax their pie.
1: All right, up next, I know this was one of your favorite uh, bits of audio from the day. Terry Bradshaw let Aaron Rodgers have it in a W fan interview about the tension between Rodgers and the team. He did not hold back.
0: With him being that upset, shows me just how weak he is. Who the hell cares who you draft? I mean, I never. He's a three time MVP in the league, and he's worried about this guy they drafted last year at number one. Now, I don't know what was said behind the scenes. I don't know what, if he said, look, I'll play this year, and then I want out of here, and they said, fine. Then he's the MVP in the league. I don't know. None of us know, uh, unless he told some insiders, and they're saying, If I don't hear it. And for him to be upset, my God, I don't understand that.
2: I loved hearing that from Terry Bradshaw. I think it is exceptionally rare to hear any of the really forward-facing talking heads that cover the NFL every Sunday, pregame show on Fox or on CBS, ever be that critical of a player. Aaron Rodgers is weak. And by the way, I agree with Terry Bradshaw on that front. Yeah, it stinks that they drafted a quarterback in the first round. You didn't play well down the stretch the season before. The Packers have also, in the past, moved on from a quarterback That was still playing well. They drafted Aaron Rodgers while Brett Favre was still playing. Brett Favre waffled back and forth on whether or not he was going to play or retire. And the Packers got sick of it eventually. On this situation, the Packers saw a guy who was getting up there in age and wondered, "Okay, is he still the same guy? Meanwhile, Jordan Love falls all the way to the back of the first round. He was probably expected to go at the back of the first round as it was. But can you really fault Green Bay for taking the guy? Some of the things that I'm hearing, too, about what Aaron Rodgers is frustrated with. Ian Rappaport put out that the, I guess, final straw was that the Packers cut Jake Kumaro, whoever that is, the day after he complimented Jake Kumaro. Kumarau. Who is that? Like his fourth wide receiver? Maybe his fifth? I don't get that one. But that was the final straw. And guess what? He got Amari Rodgers in the third round. Amari Rodgers who played at Clemson is probably one of the better steals of this draft, based off of everything that I've been reading after the fact. But uh, oh I'm Aaron Rodgers. I drafted someone in the first round. Oh shucks. I just I just don't want to play here anymore. Deal with it. It's the NFL, not for long. I'm mean, aren't I? <laughs> that is what's trending with Moraduli. every single morning afternoon at ten ten. Thanks to our friends at King's Heating and Air. This hour of the Pogalancho is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. 206-421-3776 is how you call. You can text in as well, 710-710. And a delicious amount of pie takes on the table right now, but this is what I want from you. Fill in the blank. The Seahawks are blank at drafting. Again, 206-421-3776, 710-710 to text in. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, the world. And this is your chance to be heard.
0: Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard every day at ten fifteen with Paul Gallant. Be
2: heard. Seven ten. Seven ten. Man, there's so much pie take to sift through.
1: Huckleberry pie? I've never even heard of that. I wasn't familiar with Huckleberries till I moved here. I think it's a very local berry. Okay. I
2: only know about Huck Finn. Like, that's the only Huckleberry I've ever heard of. And I always wondered, wait, why would you name your kid Huckleberry? Huckleberries, I guess, are really good. Anywho. A text. The Seahawks are eternal optimists at drafting, resulting in boom or bust picks. I'd like an example on that. Maybe McDowell is an example of that. Daryl Taylor could be an example of that, as far as the latter. DK Metcalf is a positive example of that. Why DK Metcalf fell is confusing, just given the metrics of the NFL Combine, his size, his speed, but there's also the injury that he had. Once you get into the second round, I I, I am surprised by the way that teams go about things. And honestly, after the first round, in the first round as well, like the second half of the first round, that's where you start drifting away from picks that at least are thought of by the NFL community to be potential pro bowlers and all pros into the realm of, hey, you're getting a guy that might be a starter for you. Like, that's the separation between drafting a guy like LJ Collier and drafting a guy like Aaron Donald. That's how much of a difference drafting 14, 15, 16 picks or so can make. And since the Seahawks have been in the back for such a long period of time, they are much more willing to trade back and try to get more draft picks one of the results of them getting more draft picks was finding DK Metcalf. (laughs) Sometimes those results end up being the 2017 NFL draft. I feel like they are a lot more, like every other team in the league, than the most critical Seahawks fan is willing to admit. I think you have to be fair with this, and I think you have to look at every single team across the league. And I remember doing this a couple of weeks ago, comparing Good football teams and their ability to draft. And honestly, over the last three years or so, the teams that I compared the Seahawks to, the teams that have the best quarterbacks in the NFL, I had the Texans in here. I think I had the Packers. I think I had the Chiefs. And I want to say the Buffalo Bills were in there, too. And of all those teams, the one that found the most starters, who started the most games for them, if that's the metric that we're going to go by, was the Bills. The Bills have done a really good job finding players in the draft, and that includes drafting Josh Allen over those last couple of drafts. I think they're middle of the pack, and I think most teams are middle of the pack. The The good thing is for the Seahawks, they've had the great draft class before. I think that means that there is always potential for another great draft class. We'll see if one of these last two is that case. I feel like there's potential for that. Just like 2017 and 2018 were misses, and I think they were. I think John Schneider would be willing to admit that 2017, given all the second and third round picks that they had early on, that was a miss. But I've liked what you've seen thus far out of 2019. And I feel pretty good about all you've gotten out of 2020 thus far. And if Daryl Taylor can even get on the field, I mean that might be a really good draft class. 710-710 is how you text in. The Seahawks lack confidence in their drafting. Hmm. They use competition as almost an excuse at times. They draft guys who there is no room in the roster for then have to get rid of guys two years later saying a guy who never gets a chance failed. Well, I, this, this idea of competition, that's, that's how it always should be. I, you can't look, in my opinion, at where a player is drafted and assume that this player must be up to a certain standard just because of where he's picked. Because that's not how it works. You take a swing on a player that you evaluated and that you liked, which is different than the way that 31 other teams are going to evaluate it, and you might take a player at at pick, I don't know, like say 23, then another team would have been willing to pick at pick 5 that another team would not have been willing to pick until like pick 58. Once that guy gets on the roster, that's the most important part, is how is he going to be able to compete? And I know it sounds lame and cliche and all that, but that's the actual reality of it. I, I, I would say that Maybe the thing that the Seahawks have gotten away from is, is a feeling of cutthroat competition within the organization that was, I think, really, um, how do, what's, the, what's the word for this, that was carried out and enforced by the top members of the team. And I would just specifically point to the Legion of Boom, guys who were unwilling to let people walk them off the field. You know, like you see a torn Achilles, the t- and they're, they're running off the field. They felt that they needed to do that. They had a unique competitiveness to them that obviously led to some fireworks. And you saw on the wide receiver side of things too. You know, you see guys like Percy Harvin and Golden Tate getting into it. Maybe that was just the Percy Harvin problem. But to to look at the word competition. As an excuse man it, that's it is really ultimately all about that seven ten seven ten the way I see it on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington nay the world the Seahawks are eccentric at drafting do things their own way could care less about what anybody else thinks yeah that's that's how you should do it I think another text talks about Malik McDowell here The way I see it, Malik McDowell, we will not know, was an actual mess. It wasn't John Schneider's fault that he got hurt. Yes, I agree. I agree. And that's what the weird part about calling the pick a bust, because when you call the pick a bust, then you also assume failure on the part of the organization who took him. And ultimately, the failure there was on carelessness carelessness by Malik McDowell in that situation, at least based off of all that we know about what took place there. Two more texts and keep this coming. 710 710. The Seahawks aren't necessarily creative and willing to gamble. Wow, that is a long fill in the blank at drafting or think for themselves when it comes to drafting. Very similar to the last text. So 206 421 3776. Later on at 1045, we will continue to take your calls for you to be heard. 710 710 is how you text in on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world. Fill in the blanks. The Seahawks are X at drafting. Up next, joining me in the sports pit is The Graz. And I want to know what he thinks about. Mitch Haniger's future here in Seattle. Clearly he is the Mariners' best player right now. He's second in the majors, tied for second in home runs. He doesn't have a whole lot, lot of help in that Mariners lineup. How did the Mariners get more help for him? All of that and more, plus your questions for the Gras next.
0: It's 10.30. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some frickin' toughness, you're gonna get your, you're gonna fail. With Paul Gallant.
2: And thanks to Mac and Jack's Brewing Company, I am joined by the great and powerful Graz. Graz, what's up, man? Paul, it feels like forever, buddy. It has felt like forever, because Thursday we had a Mariners game and then there was this NFL draft that took place over the weekend, and Graz. Honestly, I'm still a little worn out from all this talking that I've been doing about the draft. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Do my oh, job man. for a second. What do you What do you think about what took place this weekend for the Seahawks in the draft?
0: You're turning it over to the wrong person. I'm notorious <laughs> for 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 thumbing my nose at the draft. I know that's because... why I
2: wanted to put you on the spot.
0: <laughs> um, let's see. They got a. Um, a Part-time wide receiver who'll be a good special teams player, a lineman who seems de- destined to be on the uh, on the practice squad, and I'm not sure about the other guy. <laughs> Is that what you were looking for?
2: Yes, it was. Probably
0: not. Probably how, not.
2: How would you rate the name Stone for an offensive lineman?
0: Awesome, awesome. It, it, it's 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 just a, it's a good name for any athlete, isn't it? Yeah. Or 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 military guy.
2: Yeah, definitely a military guy, too. I feel like that is definitely the main character's name in some sort of Steven Seagal action movie. Stone something. Now, the actual quality of said movie, I don't know
0: what it's going to be, because, you what know, Steven Seagal.
1: Thinking...
0: Oh, I know. I'm thinking of, uh, remember the movie Battleship? Ooh, yeah. Commander Stone Hopper. Ooh,
2: okay. now yeah, that's a great name, Stone Hopper. Although, stones
0: don't do a whole lot of hopping,
2: so I'm not 100% sure no. how that person came to that name. But... uh so, uh, Graz, let's, let's shift over to the Mariners. L- last night, okay. frustrating. Very frustrating last night. Uh, they, I thought, scrapped together a pretty impressive performance with the bullpen. I mean, you go five pitchers over seven innings, and you don't allow any runs with a start-by bullpen. Great, but ultimately that's mm-hmm. a really difficult task for any team, even if they are going up against the Baltimore Orioles, to hold a team scoreless the entire way. The lineup has a guy by the name of Mitch Hanniger hitting. No one else is hitting, and i 'm of the belief that I feel like they 've got to keep Mitch mechanic as long as they possibly can
0: oh i I, I agree with you i, I just don 't think that in terms of uh, in terms of value for other teams that he has it like he has it for the mariners and and he 's obviously this year i mean it's it 's oversized and its importance now because he 's the only guy hitting, but you know you 're never going to get what he 's worth in a trade because of the fact that he 's missed a couple of years uh, so you know i 'm I'm, I'm, I'm gra- grateful that he 's going to be a part of the the, the lineup i don 't see him changing in. What if AAA starts for, for out west on tomorrow? It doesn't start today, right? Thursday for AAA, Thursday.
2: yes, and uh, today it's everyone else. Everyone else starts today. Yes.
0: Right, and, and let's see. How many how many at-bats do you need before you bring some guys up? Mm. What's the over-under on at-bats? Five? <laughs> One? <laughs> 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 Zero? goes three for five in his first game. Okay, let's have him. Uh, it's, I mean, it, obviously, you're going to be ultimately hoping for some hope there because you really, you really can't hit at this point. You got too many guys who are just, who just can't hit, and this is this is Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore. Uh, you know, I understand they're not their 120 lost brethren, but they're not that good, right. and they shouldn't be holding your lineup in check like that.
2: No, they should not, and yet here they are. And the Mariners have the second worst batting average in baseball, and they have the third worst slugging percentage in baseball, and. Yeah, it's hard to sit back and look at the lineup and look at how it's just Mitch Haniger essentially right now who is consistent and nobody else is. Yeah, I don't see what you really can do to make the lineup better. And I guess the question also becomes, because where the Mariners are in the midst of this rebuild, should they even be trying to address it or trying to fix it at this point in time?
0: Well, I mean, if you're going to say where they're at there, I mean, literally they are two games out in the division. And look, you know, one guy that I think we believe is going to hit better, two guys that are going to hit better than they are, because uh, they've proven it. One's Tom Murphy. I mean, he's hitting 148. Mm. He hit another home run last night. So, I mean, he, he's a better hitter than that. And and Kyle Lewis, his first 11 games is hitting 190. I expect him to produce much better numbers than that. So, you, you do have a couple of guys who is reasonable to believe can hit better than they're hitting so far. But it's still probably not going to be enough. And Kyle Seeger, after after having kind of a hot start, has slowed down a little bit. He tends to pick up the the pace a little bit as it gets a little bit warmer. So, yeah, list him as a third guy who can probably do better than what he's doing right now.
2: The Gras hanging out with me in the sports pit, uh, thanks to Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. So, we also saw, and this took place on Thursday, after when we normally would talk, Aaron Rodgers is... either leaking publicly or somebody in his court, his camp is leaking out, that he's unhappy in Green Bay. You know, I want to look at this and not be hypocritical because I feel like I have to address this and assess this the same way that I have with Russell Wilson. I feel like for the most part I have. How similar do you find these situations for Russell Wilson's alleged frustration this offseason and Aaron Rodgers' now current frustration that's emanating out of Green Bay?
0: Well, I mean... I guess I mean they're they're not really the same, because of because of the history involved in the two players. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers has has been quote unquote disgruntled in the past a little bit with what's been going on in Green Bay, and you know hasn't necessarily you know said I, I demand out or anything like that, but you know has has shown a little bit of a uh, little bit of behavior that he that he wasn't the happiest camper. Whereas Russell Wilson was the happiest camper, was the ultimate happiest camper, and then boom was not. Um, I thought the timing w- was 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 curious of it, uh, yeah, right and, and it was interesting of it. I mean, it was uh, design if you're trying to get attention, that's that's a good way of doing it. And um, you know, I mean, how, how important is it to hear him say it himself? Yeah, to do what, what what Sean Kemp did here in Seattle way back when when they signed Jim McElveen, and and he did an interview uh, a week later, I, I, I think, on on an NBC, NBC uh, playoff broadcast, and said pointedly. I will never wear that uniform again. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, there was no reading between the lines, no wondering if his camp was leaking it like you were talking about. So uh, if it's not first person, it's uh, it's a little bit different in, in my book. And, and Russell Wilson didn't technically ask for a trade when he was making his first person quote-unquote comments. You know, he talked about he wants more, he wants to have you know something to say about what's going on and needs better blocking you know Aaron Rodgers I'd, I'd like to hear him say hey, I will not wear that uniform again and then then you're going to really go wow what's going on here but it's it's something for the good folks in Green Bay to enjoy over the summer have fun guys yeah I know
2: right and and something it, it, it makes it makes me wonder you know something you were saying a little bit ago like is this about embarrassment or is this about attention you know are are is he trying to get yeah. attention that he wants out or is he just being petty <laughs> part of me thinks it's the latter right
0: and if it's the latter and it's Green Bay you're going to gulp and take it man yeah you could, you got could to swallow and say, look, this is this is the price we pay for the business arrangement we chose to be in. And, uh, you know, look at the year he had last year. You know, certainly he is not your problem in any way, shape, or form. So, I, 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 look, they got to spend the, the next couple of months uh, making it work. Uh, but I suppose stranger things have happened, and, and I, I suppose, you know, they, they could make a move. It would be very, very surprising at this point in time, though.
2: When it comes to superstar athletes, Graz, is there a line that teams should not be willing to cross when it comes to the appeasement of them? Because I I understand the idea of, hey, Brian Gutekunst hasn't done anything in Green Bay. He's not Ted Thompson. Mm -hmm. He he, he stepped in. Ted Thompson basically tapped him as his replacement, the late Ted Thompson. So he comes in, and he hasn't done much in Green Bay outside of draft Jordan Love, which of course has rankled, at the very least, Aaron Rodgers. But if you do like move on from Brian Gutekunst, I imagine that there will be other people that Aaron would perhaps like out. And I think Mike McCarthy is already a body that you can point at and say, we think Aaron Rodgers did that. We think Aaron Rodgers murked him, but we're not 100% sure.
0: I think it's more about um, bad behavior than, than that kind of behavior. I mean, look, we all, we've all conceded that, the most important player on a team is the quarterback. Yes. No one denies that he's, he's, he's a part of management on good teams and good quarterbacks are definitely a part of that. And, and so, you know, for a little bit of belly aching, you know, that's one thing, you know, the Seahawks rules are not that, not that bad. I mean, if you really, really criticize the, the organization, your coaches, things like that, do the sorts of things that, that bust up your locker room, then, then you've gone too far. And, and obviously, I mean, any, anything illegal is in a category by itself but unless you really are, are 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 calling guys out by name and 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 ripping them to shreds i think as a quarterback you know you can really kind of push it and look we've seen other players other positions push it we certainly saw Terrell Owens push it as far as oh, as, yeah. as a guy could do it and and of course he bounced from place to place though so he didn't exactly stick around all that long so uh you know Aaron Rodgers I, I doubt there's a groundswell of packer fans that are eager to have him go anywhere
2: one last question for you, Graz. It's the listener question of the day. 710-710, the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. What is the best pie?
0: What is the best pie? Oh, man. Danny
2: O'Neill thinks it's peach pie, which everyone summarily dismissed. But I like key no. lime pie, and most people find my food takes to be uh, trash, if you will. <laughs>
0: uh, a, a good key lime pie takes a backseat to no one. Yeah, and and nothing. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say that. And my wife makes it. She makes an unbelievable coconut cream pie. Ooh,
2: okay, coconut so cream I'll,
0: pie. I'll volley that in there with with a nod to Apple because it's America after all. This is
2: true. USA, <laughs> USA. Uh, Graz, always appreciate you joining me in the sports pit. May the fourth be with you, and uh, have yourselves a wonderful Tuesday. Thanks, Paul. That is Gros, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Dave Grosby. The question of the day: 710-710. The Seahawks are blank at drafting. You can also call in 206-421-3776. If they aren't up to your standards, what is it that you would like to see them do next time around? What is it that they didn't do that perhaps is frustrating you, is grinding your gears? We wrap up the show next right here: 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening
0: to Paul Gallant.
1: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio.
0: Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle.
2: It is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Day the world, 206-421-3776. Call in, please, to tell me the word that you would put into this blank. The Seahawks are blank at drafting. 710-710 is also how you do it. You could tweet me to at Gallant says. Misguided, writes a texter. Seahawks drafts are misguided. Until they build an elite-level offensive line, all else struggles. An elite offensive line enables your star position offensive players to shine, and it takes an elite offensive line to handle all those elite star defensive players they are expected to beat. That is true when you are in a division that has a lot of defensive talent, especially up front. That said, The ease with which a team turns over an offensive line is, I feel, a little overstated. And we're seeing what Kansas City did this offseason, and they, I mean, went really aggressive. They lured Kyle Long out of retirement, and that's like the least risky of the moves that they have made. They signed Joe Tooney to a ridiculous contract for a guard. They traded a first-round pick For Orlando Brown. They decide to draft Oklahoma Center um, Creed Humphrey. How do I keep forgetting his name? His first name is Creed. Hello, my friend. I should remember that by default at all times. They're overhauling the whole thing in one offseason. It might be better. It might be worse. I feel like the assumption generally is when you make that many moves in one offseason, oh, there's no way that it's not better than it was at the end of last year. Okay, maybe. But what if all of a sudden you're investing more into an offensive line that only gets you a little bit more there? And I I do think while, yes, having a better offensive line would help the Seahawks out, would it minimize the sack numbers? Or is Russ always just going to get sacked 40 times a season? You could argue, well, he's never had offensive line help, but he's also never had a season where he's been sacked less than 40 times outside of his rookie year. Text. I can't say the Seahawks have drafted well over the last five years. Too many of their early round picks, one through three, either aren't on the team or are just depth players. It is hard to find impact players at the back, but that is also a fair point. And, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm minimizing the idea that they should have in this new CBA era, post Earl Thomas, who they did draft in the first round, important to remember that. Also Russell Okung, that very same draft. I mean, that, was, that was pretty good. But they were drafting early for those. In this post-those-two-players world, they've brought in guys that they have not even given the fifth-year option to. and Rashad Penny's the latest of which. But it's not to say that those players that they brought in were not good enough to make it work in the NFL. James Carpenter found life after the Seahawks. Jermaine Fetty has found life after the Seahawks. We'll see what happens with LJ Collier if he actually makes it to that fifth-year option. I I would tend to believe at this point in time, no, just given how much that position generally costs. I don't think though that I can just say, hey, well, it's not the end of the world that those guys didn't work out. At least one of them you want to have as a plus player. But I will say this this is a theme that we see not just here in Seattle. This is a theme that you would think is just here it is elsewhere it is in kansas city of late in the draft they have not done a great job it's in new england of late in the draft it's in let's go to some of the other teams with good quarterbacks green bay of late hasn't done so great in the draft i mean of all the really good teams last year i would say buffalo has probably done the best job drafting at least over the last couple of seasons and the results that you that you are hoping to get to find those star players on a regular basis it's, it's very difficult uh seven ten seven ten. Ooh, there's a couple of people that are texting this in. It is May the fourth. I, I I will end things with this one. This is from Casey in Richmond, and I appreciate you asking this. We'll do it to wrap things up because everyone knows I'm a giant dork. In honor of May fourth, what's your favorite Star Wars scene and moment from any of the movies? I feel like the twist in Empire Strikes Back is one of the best twists in a movie ever. I suppose I should just spoil it. This has been forty years, right? Luke, I am your father. I, I think everything else pales in comparison. I really did like the throne room fight between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. I thought it was well done. I thought there were nice twists at the very end. For those who have watched The Mandalorian, the second best thing that's ever happened I think took place at the end of it, of this past season. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil that for you because it is is—it's one of the best Star Wars moments I can remember. So that's that's me. The prequels left a lot to be desired. And Qui-Gon Jinn is a fraud. This is the Paul Gallant Show. Thank you very much for tuning in. To the Graz who stopped by. To our texters. To our tweeters. And of course the one and only Maura Dooley behind the glass. Coming up next, it is Jake and Stacy. So long, farewell. You'll hear Danny and I tomorrow morning at 7.